everybody. Welcome to Parkview. So glad that you're here. Say hi to all of our friends uh, in Orland, Homer Glen, New Lenox, those of you watching online. It's good to be with you. If we've never met, I'm Pastor Casey. Um, I've been around here for a bit. Um, it's coming up this next year. It's going to be like 13 years. No, I'm old. No, no, no. Anything with double digits, it's like, okay, now we're serious here. I want to uh, start today by taking you back a little bit, take you back to last January, if you'll go with me, um, January 30th to be exact, and um, I had to go to the eye doctor. Hey, if you're, a, um, if you're an eye doctor person, let me, what I'm about to say, I hope doesn't offend you, uh, but we don't want to see you. Not socially, like professionally. We don't want to see you because it means that something, first of all, just something uncomfortable is going to happen. You're going to blow air in our eye. You're going to do something like that. You're going to make us go clearer here, foggier there, whatever. Uh, We don't want to see you, but I had to because I needed to change prescriptions and all of that stuff. And so I go to see the eye doctor and uh, she says, hey, we need to take an ultrasound of your eye. And I'm like, why not? You've already stuck a dozen things in there. What's a 13th? So I agree to this, and I have this ultrasound done of my eyeball, and I thought I would bring it and show it to you. So this is the picture of my eye. I've never felt closer to a group of people than I do to you all, right? This is a side of me no one ever, ever really sees. So uh, she puts this picture up on the screen and then says, can you see, I don't know if you can, but there's little white things up there at the top. Uh, she says, those are holes in your retina. I said, that doesn't sound good. She said, that's not good. I said, well, what do we do? She said, well, what you do is you understand that these are holes that can fill with fluid, and if they fill with fluid, then your retina detaches. I said, that sounds bad. She goes, that's bad. I said, I want to avoid that. She goes, I want to avoid that too. Now, there was a moment like 25 minutes before I saw this where everything was fine. And then I saw this picture, and all of a sudden, everything changed. Like, I couldn't go back to 25 minutes ago and be like, oh, I'm fine. There's nothing exploding in my eyeball. Now I knew this, and now I had to deal with it. And so I said, what do we do? She goes, well, you need to see a retina specialist. I said, okay, when can I do that? She goes, not soon. And I'm like, great. I get to sit with this for a little bit. Tremendous. So I did what you imagine you would do with that information. I just sat with it, and I was perfectly at peace about it all. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. I thought there were every really terrible scenario that could happen as a result of my eyeball exploding. There's this feeling that comes with that. And, and I think the best way to explain it is I hear that bartenders, this is what people tell me anyway, that bartenders have a saying when they're closing up at night where they say, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And I'd like to shift that for me in that moment where I was looking at this picture of my eyeball and say, I knew I couldn't go back to 25 minutes ago, but I knew I couldn't stay right there where I was. Something had to change. Maybe you've had that experience before where you said what you were thinking rather than thinking about what you should say, and you went ahead and said it anyway, and now there are these consequences. Maybe the job site you went to on Monday For the first time, you're now leaving on Friday for the last time. Maybe you went to the doctor and you got a diagnosis that represents all this change that's going to happen in your life, and you'd love to go back to before that, but you have no idea what it's going to look like coming up. Maybe that family that was so tight and so close, 
is now fractured and splintered, and you just don't know what that's going to look like going forward. Or maybe you just have this feeling like something has to change. I know that feeling well. It's one of the most human things any of us can feel, and the name for it is restlessness. I've been dealing with restlessness most of my life. I inherited it from my family. I'm just a restless person sometimes. And a lot of times I try to deal with it just by changing a few things, like I'll switch up a routine or I'll read a different book or I'll listen to different music. Sometimes I try to grow facial hair and um, my wife will go, what, what is this? Like, you don't need a shave, you need a bath. What is that? That looks terrible. It never works. See, restlessness, if I were going to define it for you, I would define it this way. Restlessness is an unsettled, irritated season where we are stuck in the here and now. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You can't go back, but you don't know what forward looks like. Restlessness is that unsettled, irritated moment where you're stuck right there. Now, from this definition, my guess is you're looking at that going, that's something I would like to avoid. You'd like to avoid that, like holes in your retinas or Illinois winter. You'd like to not be a part of that at all. And, and mainly to say, number one, I don't want to go there. And number two, how do I get out as fast as humanly possible? But in my life, with my experience with restlessness, I want to offer a different way of looking at it. Maybe, maybe there's actually something good in that place in between. When we can't go back and we can't go forward, maybe right in the middle of that, there's actually something we need. Maybe God is doing something in that moment in between the past that we can't go back to and the future we have no idea what it looks like. There's a story about Jesus in the Bible that I've read a bunch of times, and actually there's a detail I keep missing about it. So I want to set it up a little bit for you. So we have Christmas, right? And there's shepherds and wise men and joy to the world and fear not, and all that stuff happens. And then we don't hear anything about Jesus for like 30 years. So it's birth, nothing, and then 30 years later we hear something. Actually, there's one verse in the Bible that tells us what was happening in that 30-year period, and it says this, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So teenage years, weird young adult years, acne, all that stuff, all of it summed up in one sentence. We don't hear anything else until 30 years later, and Jesus emerges into the world. Now, I don't know, maybe you're in kind of an emergent place. Maybe you're, you're finally coming out of, of COVID and this thing that we've been dealing with for the last two years. Some people aren't. You got to know that there are some people with like really serious health conditions that they may never move on from that. And you may need to be patient with them. But maybe you're trying to come out. Of, maybe this emergence thing is something that you're trying to do and you're waiting for something to happen and it just isn't coming. If so, there's room in this story for you too. But Jesus emerges into the world, and when he does, his cousin John baptizes him. So the first thing he does after growing in stature with God and man, wisdom in God and man, is he gets baptized. And when that happens, the story says that heaven is torn open, and the voice of God speaks. Now this is an amazing moment. This is a moment loaded with a lot Heaven is torn open, and this voice speaks. And this is what it says about Jesus. It says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to pause for a moment because whether you're in a rested place or a restless place, or you're in a place where you feel like you're surprised that you came in here today and the whole roof didn't collapse, 
Maybe you're in a place where you've been told that you're too far from God, that you're too far gone. You have to know, when God looks at you, his first and most overwhelming thought is, that is my kid in whom I'm well pleased. Every time, all the time. That is where God starts with us. That is the beginning of every spiritual journey. God says, that's my kid in whom I'm well pleased. Because if we begin anywhere else, we're doomed to fail. God looks at Jesus and says, this is my kid in whom I'm well pleased. He looks at us and says the same thing. Now, after that, you would expect things improve from there, right? If God is saying, that's my kid in whom I'm well pleased, like from there on, it's just up and to the right. But honestly, this is what happens There's this moment where Jesus, after this heaven-rending moment, after the baptism, it says that then Jesus is led by the Spirit into a place called the wilderness. Now, what I've always missed about this passage is that one three-letter word, led. This wasn't Jesus' idea. He wasn't like, you know what a good thing to do now would be? Let's go to the wilderness. He was led. And for most of us, the restless moment that we're in right now, this in-between place where we can't go back and we can't go forward, we didn't choose it. We didn't decide to go there. We didn't want it. We didn't ask for it. But we're there. That's where we are. We're standing in line at the Jewel, staring at 30 different brands of mints, going, I don't know what to do with my relationship next. We're driving down 294. Actually, we're creeping down 294, with lots of time to think. And we're trying not to do the other thing we do in traffic, which, you know, what happens at Parkview stays before. We know you do. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. I can't go back. And as the traffic creeps along, we know we can't go forward either. We didn't choose to go there, but there we are. So what's next? Well, in the story, what's next I'll talk about this. What's next is usually called wilderness. And that word means a desolate place or a desert place, but ultimately wilderness is just the place where you have no answers, where all your typical ways of dealing with stuff is gone, where the go-to things that make us feel better, the go-to things that solve our problems are just gone. We're just in the middle and we have no choice. We can't go back, we can't go forward, and we can't fix what's right in front of us. There is no Instagram filter to make it look better. We're just there. So what do we do when we're stuck right in the middle of that place? When our ego is stripped away, when our answers are taken from us, we're just there. January went to the eye doctor. February went to the retina specialist. I showed up. I was the younger pers- youngest person in there by a good 25 years, which is saying something. Uh, I felt left out because I didn't have the big, my big black glasses. But anyway, I walked in, and um, the first thing they do is they grab you, they take you back, and then they put what feels like 100 eye drops in your eyes. And you can't see anything, and then there are random people like, if you don't like people touching your eyeballs, don't go there. you got people you don't even know, like, are you a nurse or are you just here for fun, and they're jamming you in the eye? And finally, after all that, I ended up sitting in the office with the specialist, and he said, well, yeah, you got holes in both eyes, actually. And I was like, say what to who now? Both? Like, I came in with one. Now I got two? Awesome. Like, I must have upgraded from January. I said, okay, so what do we do? And he cleared his throat, and he said, here's what we do. 
We fire a laser. Now, I'm a kid who grew up with Star Wars, so you say laser, I'm like, yes. And then he said, we into your eye. And I was like, no. No, no. And what we do is we burn those little holes with this laser so that they don't fill up with fluid. Because if they do that, then your retina detaches. You have a long, painful surgery. And then you have to lay on your face for three months. So I said, what do you think I should do? And he said, and I'm not kidding you, he said, you could go home and think about it. And he took a breath, and then he told me the most terrifying story of someone who went home and thought about it. He said they lost their vision, and their surgery didn't take, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Why do I trust you? Restless moments feel like they offer us really two choices between two very painful things. We can either choose to try and force ourselves back to the way things were, which we do from time to time. Or we can choose the pain of just staying right where we are because we don't know where we're going. We don't know how our marriage is going to get better. We know we can't go back to the way it used to be. We have no idea what it's going to look like in the future. But staying right here, sitting at this table, having this conversation, I don't know. We know we can't go back to being addicted. But man, sobriety is frightening. So can I actually stay in the middle of this? That's a painful choice. So I said, all right, doc. Fire away. And he did. I put all this, they put all this goop in my eye and they put this thing in my, I'm so glad he uh, he believed in mints because he was right here the whole time. I'm like, wow, that's that's decidedly minty. Uh, He's right here firing this thing in my eye and it hurts. It was intense pain. I'm not a wuss, though I sound like it, but it was really intense pain. He said, hey, stop me if it hurts too much. I said, we'll never finish if I do that. And so it was all done, and I, you know, they gave me a little thing to put over top of it, and I I was done for a while. But what came with that was a consequence I wasn't expecting, because that's what happens with painful choices. Sometimes things come with it, that you don't really expect. So Jesus goes to the wilderness, and he goes there, and for 40 days he fasts. I don't know if you've ever fasted for a day, but imagine multiplying that by 40. Fast for 40 days, and when he's at his weakest, when he's at his most exhausted, the devil comes to test him and tempt him. Because that's what usually happens. When you're at your worst, that's when temptation really shows up. Now, when we're in the middle, when we can't go forward and we can't go back, when we're stuck in the present tense, the temptations that face us are usually the ones that are right here, five feet in front of our face. They're not like the big world-changing decisions. They're the like, can you satisfy something in this moment right here, right now? Can you fix what's right in front of you? There's this instinct that kicks in. Some people call it the lizard brain. Some people call it fight or flight. But there's something in us that when we're in that moment, we're like, we got to fix this. We got to deal with this. We got to deal with this relationship. We got to deal with this decision. We got to fix this moment. And those temptations are really strong. And one of the most beautiful things about the story of Jesus is that he shows us that really truthfully, there are three kind of temptations that are common when we're stuck in that middle place. And there's an author named Henry Nowen who talks about this, and he gives three really beautiful names to these temptations. They're the ones you and I face, and they're the ones that Jesus faced as well. And the first one is this temptation to be relevant. 
What does that mean? That means can you solve the problem? Can you fix that thing that's right here, right in front of your face? So this temptation comes in the form of the devil going, hey, are you hungry, Jesus? You're like, it's been 40 days since I ate. A little. Are you hungry? Aren't you Jesus? Like, aren't you magical? Tell you what, why don't you take these stones right over here and turn them into bread. That one could be sourdough. That one could be a baguette. That one could be something with Asiago cheese. You know, do your thing. Do your Jesus magic. Turn these stones into bread and satisfy your hunger. When we're stuck in the middle, we want to be relevant to our problems. So we want to be able to fix it. Whether that means something that we do or whether that means something we use to cope, whether we drink it away or porn it away or shop it away or whatever we do, when we're stuck in that middle, we want to be relevant to our problems. We want to fix them. We want the magic bread. And i got to be honest with you, the, res- the restless moments I've experienced in my life, I want the magic bread. I want to solve that problem five feet in front of my face. And Jesus responds to this temptation and he says, right now, it's not about the bread. There's something else going on here. I'm not interested in fixing the problem because there's something bigger happening right now. It's for you and I, the temptation is to use easy solutions to cope with something that's not an easy situation. For you and I, the temptation is to turn to something that will at least get us to stop thinking about restlessness, distract us, help us to ignore it. Whether it's been a long day at work and you come home and you're like, I just i got to figure out something so I don't have to think about this anymore. Maybe it's after a long night with a crying infant that just won't go to sleep. Please go to sleep. I want to love you for your whole life, but you're going to have to sleep at some point because I am not a good person when you don't sleep. Maybe it's been a long emotional struggle, long battle with mental health issue. I just need to not think about it for a while. So we try to do a little magic, try to get past it on our own. And here's Jesus saying, look, look, you can do that if you want, but let me show you the way through. It's not about solving that problem, actually. It's about something else. So that's the first temptation. The second one is the temptation to be spectacular. What does that mean? It means that not only are you tempted to solve your problem by any means necessary, but you want it to be amazing. It should make for the best Instagram post ever. And then you want to be able to write the book and found the consulting firm that goes and teaches other people how to solve their restless problems so that they think, wow, how amazing you really are. It shifts the focus on how powerful we are, how accomplished we are, how potent we are, that we did it and we didn't break a sweat. Wow, watch that person go. The only problem with that is that doesn't last very long. The devil says to Jesus, look, you know who you are. You got the Jesus magic. Why don't you go to the top of the temple and just throw yourself off? And then when God catches you with all the angels, they'll know just how amazing you really are. All of us has this this temptation to say, if I can just get through this, people will know how amazing I am. And Jesus says, this is not a game. This is not even about you. This is not even about me. This is not how amazing and spectacular you are, how you can solve every problem and come out of it without breaking a sweat. This is about something far bigger than that. It's about you becoming who you were always meant to be. 
It's not about you solving the problem. It's not about you being spectacular or amazing. It's about something else. Last temptation is this, is the temptation to be powerful. If you grew up in the U.S., this is how we were taught to live our lives, right? You get into a tough situation, you grab yourself by the bootstraps, and you figure it out. You put your head down and you go. And, and don't get me wrong, there are some times that that works. But when we can't go forward and we can't go back and can't go forward, when that happens, putting your head down and trying to force it really just gives you a headache. The devil says to Jesus, look, if you give up all of the other things you believe in and you just put your, all your attention on me, I'll give you all the power in the world. And Jesus says, stop it. What you're talking about is control, and I'm not in control. If there's anything that this space between not being able to go back and not being able to go forward teaches us, it's that you and I, we're not in control. It's taken me a long time to figure that out. And my helmet that I put on and put my head down and went, it's got a lot of dings in it. The wisdom of Jesus says, look, you're not in control. The stuff you face at school, the stuff you face at work, the stuff you face at home, you've never been in control. That doesn't mean you can't do anything. That doesn't mean anything about effort. You're just not in control. And the one thing that I think is most powerful about these wilderness moments, the spots in between when we can't go back, we can't go forward, is we learn one very simple, potent lesson, which is this. The wilderness doesn't give a rip about your relevance or your spectacle or your power. When you're in that middle spot, they don't care. That season of life does not care how many problems you can solve, how amazing you are, or how much control you think you have. It strips it all away. And that's why I think it's a good thing, because that's the moment, that's the moment I think God really starts doing some interesting things with us. Is when we finally realize we don't have to be relevant or spectacular or powerful because something else is going on. So I'm bleary-eyed, just got laser blasted, which is not as fun as it sounds, honestly. And I'm having that post-procedure conversation with that person I've met once who's pushing papers into my hand. And they're like, okay, here's some Advil. Okay, here's when you come back. And then they said this, okay, so for the next month, you can't do any vigorous activity. Well, it's February in Illinois, so maybe that's going to be okay. You can't do any vigorous activity, not a lot of bending over, uh, not a lot of like fast-paced walking or running. You can't do any of that stuff for a month. Also, you can't lift anything over 10 pounds. Do you know how many things in your regular life weigh more than 10 pounds? Like a decent basket of laundry, a good trash bag where you've just been pushing it down the whole time, just praying somebody else will take it out. You, nobody's in here has done that. I've done that. You push it down, like 30 pounds right there. Even We have a, a little dog uh, named Winston. This is a picture of him because, you know, and you know what? Um, you don't have to ask. He's a good boy. <laughs> At the time that I had this procedure, 15 pounds. Couldn't pick up the dog, couldn't chase the dog, couldn't bike, couldn't run, couldn't do any of those things for a month. You talk about wanting to go back to that 25 minutes before I ever saw my eyeball in the picture? Absolutely. Like, I came to this place 
where I just felt worthless. I couldn't contribute to what was going on. I couldn't do the things around the house I used to do. I couldn't do anything with speed. I had to really worry about what I was eating because I wasn't exercising. And you know, metabolism stops at some point. And then, the day after, it snowed 15 inches. And somebody, not naming any names, forgot to get the snowblower ready. I talked about it. I had all good intentions of getting the snowblower prepared for the winter season that comes here every year, and I, I didn't do it. And so I had to sit in the living room and watch my wife shovel five times in that first day. There was a picture that I deleted because it was just too painful of her standing thigh high in snow, scraping off our roof with one of those big shovels. And I'm sitting on the couch and I didn't think, wow, that's really cool. I thought, dude, you are worthless right now. You are a lump right now. But that's what happens when you can't, you can't, go back and you can't go forward, when you're stuck in that middle place, it starts tearing away all of these things that used to be part of your identity. It starts stripping all that stuff away. You realize you're a limited human being. You realize you are not in control. A five-minute laser procedure knocked me out for a month. What kind of control do I really have? And so it's that middle spot right there where we get confronted with this two-point truth. One is, yes, you are God's kid in whom he's well-pleased, and the other one is, you have limitations. You're not all-powerful, you're not in control, and in those middle points is where we learn that, and that's actually a really, really good thing. Despite my best efforts to want to go back, I couldn't. Despite my best efforts to say, you know what, forget Western medicine, they're probably wrong. I'm going to go out and start chucking 20-pound things of snow. I couldn't go back. And go forward. I had to just stay right there. And so I don't know if that story of winter and eyeballs and all that makes any sense to you. Maybe you have your own restless story. But what I do know is this. If you're wondering, this space in between is a well-populated place. If you haven't been there yet, you will be. And if you are there right now, hi. And not only is it well-populated, God is there too. If this story of Jesus in the wilderness tells us anything, it's that it's in that moment when God really shows up. It's in that space between not being able to go back and not being able to go forward that God shows up and God begins to do amazing things. There's this strange thing, though, that happens at the end of the Jesus story that I want to talk about. After all of the temptations is over, are over, this is what it says. It says, then the devil left him, which was kind, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. I actually like the way Mark says it a little bit better. He says it this way. It says, he was in the will with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Isn't that a weird picture? Like, there are these things that threaten your life over here, and there are these things that save your life over here. Well, isn't that, a, isn't that the image of being in between? <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with the wild beasts, because I know what that's all about. But I also don't know who these people are that are going to rescue me. In that middle spot, do you notice what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't immediately leave. He doesn't get out of there. He just stays. 
He just remains right in the middle of that. So I don't know what the restless spot you're in right now is, but I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you just to stay there for a minute. Just to stay there for a little bit, because that's where God really meets us. God doesn't meet us when we get all of our stuff together and get everything fixed. He meets us when we are in that middle spot, when we are stuck in between not being able to go back and not being able to go forward and not knowing what that looks like. That's, that's where Jesus meets us. Sometimes it's in the middle of those wildernesses that we really find out who we were supposed to be. Or in other words, what if our restlessness is actually a gift? What if it's a good thing? that helps us understand and become who we were meant to be all along? What if that's where God really shows up and finds us? Because that's kind of how God works. In the Psalms, it says that God is near. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Near to who? The brokenhearted, not the fixed-hearted, not the mended-hearted. God is near to the brokenhearted. In the middle is where God shows up. So in between the relationship that was and the one you don't know if it's going to be, God's there. In between the job that you just lost and the one that you hope you're going to get, God is there. In between the graduation from high school and the future you don't know about, God is there. In between the addiction you used to have and the sobriety you don't know is going to happen, God is there. Just because you know that your faith has changed doesn't mean that you're unfaithful. Just because your marriage has become hard doesn't mean that it's over. God is inviting you to the middle just to stay and meet him there. Let me urge you, don't waste your wilderness by trying to get out of it. Just stay there for a little bit. And if you want to know how to do that, there's a very simple prayer that I'm just going to offer you that you can take with you. It's one line. And this is the prayer. God, I'm in the wilderness. Meet me here. You can breathe in the first part, God, I'm in the wilderness, and then exhale, meet me here. This might be something that you want to keep near you, write down somewhere. Maybe you want to make it the lock screen on your phone. You get it tattooed on your forearm. That seems a bit extreme, but maybe, maybe you do that too. Don't waste the wilderness. Don't waste that in-between time trying to get out of it. Instead, meet God there. Because God is the God of the times in between. When everything is blown up, when nothing seems to be working, God meets us right there. Don't waste your wilderness. Receive that gift, however it might come to you. God, I'm in the wilderness. Meet me here. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful that you've brought us here. We're grateful for just the stories that you tell with our life. Sometimes they're weird and they involve surgeries and dogs and snow and sometimes they're more tragic, sometimes they're more difficult, sometimes they last longer than we want them to. But what we do know is that at the moment where we feel like we are the most stuck is when you are the most with us. So if there's someone in here today who hasn't taken a step towards you, maybe this prayer is that step. Maybe they're like, I don't know about this Jesus thing, I don't know about this church thing and the lights and smoke and music. I don't know anything. I don't know about that, but here's what I do know. God, I am in the wilderness. Meet me here. And for those of us going through the painful time in between, would you give us courage to not try and be 
relevant or spectacular or powerful, but to remain with you and to grow wiser and stronger as a result. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'll just give you a benediction to dismiss you. Word benediction just means to speak well, so let me speak well to you before you leave. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May the love of God the Father, the beauty of his son Jesus, and the power of the Spirit go with you this week and be with you this week. Amen. Peace, y'all.